Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. We're streaming at the lakeswoodsandirons.com, also 1380 KLIZ and 105.1 FM. And really, wherever you find your podcasts, you can find us under Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Uh, brought to you in part by Ernie's on Gull with deck and patio seating, weather permitting, an unmatched view of Gull Lake, open year-round at 11. Check them out on Facebook. And the T-Hive, custom apparel for your business, event, team, or family, online at teahive.com. Chris, a uh, huge weekend golf. Was a great finish. Uh, Canadian Open had a had a, a storybook ending, and now we're right uh, back to the U.S. Open, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, there is a lot going on in the world of golf, and uh, a lot of good stuff. Hopefully, we've got. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a reprieve this week from the the world of of live and PGA Tour and VP uh, World Tour. <coughs> consolidation yeah drama and, uh, drama, and drama, can, drama yeah we can just focus on the great things about golf and why we love professional golf so it uh but uh what what a weekend last weekend mac with the canadian open it was just a storybook finish 68 years i think since the canadian won the canadian open yeah amazing and you know, <laughs> gosh, my Mike Weir has been in there, you know, was close several times. And, uh, you know, Canada, ha- in this year alone, Canadians have won uh, uh, either six or seven events. So they, uh, you know, the game of golf in Canada is very healthy and at the elite level is very healthy. A lot of that has to do with uh, uh, our, a friend of our the show, uh, Derek Ingram, who's the Canadian national coach. He's done such an incredible job of you know, developing those players, and he doesn't necessarily work with them all on tour, but he does work with Corey Connors and uh, still spends a lot of time with Nick Taylor, and it's, uh, it's sure fun to see. It. it was an incredible finish. Yeah, it really was. Nice to see all those guys, too, waiting around the 72nd hole or whatever it was, the 76th hole, to yeah. see if uh, their fellow Canadian could win it, and uh, sure enough, he did. Corey's kind of been the... He's been up at the top at a lot of tournaments this year. He's probably the number one player in Canada, but um, he fell away a little bit on day four, and uh, well, nice to see another Canadian step up and roll in a 72-footer is all for the win. 72 feet, the, long, the longest putt of his, of his PGA Tour career, and uh, I, I, I think I read the longest putt to ever win an event or win a playoff. So Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, you know, both Corey Connors and and uh, uh, Mike Weir were already at the airport. Uh, and when, uh, you know, when Taylor was coming, when they realized where he stood on about 15, 16, they, they dashed back to the golf course. So, okay, cool. But, uh, but that, that yeah, that was very cool to see. And, uh, uh, boy, Tommy Fleetwood, it was great to see him play so well as well, so. It was. He would have been a popular winner, too, I think. Obviously not as much in Canada, but still worldwide and U.S. tour-wide, it would have been good uh, for Fleetwood to get a win. Yeah, no question. He, he hasn't won on U.S. or hasn't won on the PGA Tour. Yeah, uh, you yeah. Know, has, I think, 12 or, 12 or 13 wins on the on the European Tour, but uh, would have been a great way to, for him to start, but uh, definitely trending well for the, for the U.S. Open. U.S. Open in one of your favorite areas. We've talked about it on the show a few times. Uh, that uh, concentration of wonderful golf courses and 
L.A. Country Club has had a chance to have majors before, and they didn't really want them, but now they do want it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's it's interesting, Mac. I know a lot of members there because they we've got a number of members that uh, are uh, share membership at El Dorado Country Club, where I teach in the winter, and uh, the members are somewhat excited about it. You know, it's it's a big sacrifice to. Uh, to give up your your golf course for a tournament like the U.S. Open, really you lose the golf course for about a month to six weeks. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. From everything, everything from the build out of the you know the grandstands and hospitality and and you know the rough they grow so long. Um, so it, the golf course is almost unplayable two, three, four weeks before the event because of, you know it's so hard. And then, then all the the teardown of the event. But that being said, uh, you know, LA Country Club's really made a commitment to championship golf, everything from the U.S. Open to um, you know the upcoming. They're, they're committed to a couple U.S. Opens based on how this one's gone, and uh, a U.S. Amateur, and you know they held they held the Walker Cup uh, four years ago, so. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it, boy, on it sure comes across uh, on television with unbelievable vistas and that kind of thing. Just uh, looks glorious. Yeah, I, you know the, the the U.S. Open. I I love all the majors, and the the U.S. Open is is usually third on my list behind the the British Open and the and the Masters. Yeah, uh, but boy, I, I I've been looking forward to this one all year. And, <laughs> uh, the, the venue is so good, and it's uh, uh, it, it's a lot like the old course in the respect that there are so many options. Uh, and what I mean by that is there there are so many holes that they can play, kind of from a variety of spots. You know, there there there's a par three that plays. You know, the the kind of the typical yardage is 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 one sixty, but they can all they're also going to play it at about ninety yards, uh, which is you know very unusual. And the 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 section of green that they play to ninety yards is about four paces wide. <laughs> uh, and you know then the, then the the fifteenth uh, uh, hole par three play can play up to to three hundred and I think. 320 yards and uh you know plays as short as 180 yards so they've got so many options with from day to day based on you know what what the weather is going to do and uh you know how they want to set up the golf course there's a drivable par four um it, it's just a great venue and then, then just classic classic golf course architecture great bunkering and uh you know george thomas who who designed uh, LA Country Club was from Philadelphia, and there's so many great architects from that era from Philadelphia. That in the you know the influence of of Pine Valley and Marion and Philadelphia Cricket Club, and there was just a high concentration of all these great minds in golf in the you know from 1915 to 1930 or 40 in that area that that had such a big influence on the on the. You know, the rest of the world of golf course architecture. Yeah, yeah. There's those history books talking that you like to read, Chris. That's right. <laughs> it's good, though. I, I've been interested in the stra- a lot of the guys talking about the strategy of it, that there's uh, s- several a number of holes you can attack and a number of holes where you cannot attack. So they're, they're obviously mapping it out pretty close. 
Yeah, you know the golf course is is fairly wide, uh, but you know you're, in places it's wide, I should say. Uh, but the rough is is pretty thick. Um, you know the golf course. It looks like the weather is going to be going to be dry. Uh, you know they have what they call that marine layer, so it'll be it's foggy. Once the marine layer lifts, the golf course becomes a lot you know firmer. Uh, but what's what's in it? You know, the, like I said, the rough the rough is thick. What's going to be very interesting is the, the the rough around the bunkers is really thick. You know, they've got they've got fescue around the bunkers, so you know you're you're better off being in the bunkers than missing just missing the edges of the bunker because it's a you know the lie is pretty predictable when you hit it in the bunker. Yeah. Uh, when you're in that rough, it, it's you know, it's hard to get a club on it. You, you have no control of the spin. And the greens have, you know, a lot of slope and a lot of tilt to them, a lot of movement. So, uh, you know, pretty unpredictable out of the rough. That'll get the members grum- grumbling if they leave the uh, long <laughs> fescue around the traps. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it, it, it's, it's always a, it's really a good test even dirty for the you know for member play, but it not, nothing like they have it right now. <laughs> well, we'll talk more U.S. Open as we uh, progress here. You're listening to Lakes Woods and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes Woods and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan 105.1 FM as well. Also find us at lakeswoodsandirons.com. And uh, also, wherever your podcasts are sold, look for us under Lakes, Woods, and Irons. You can find us right there. This segment brought your way by Holiday Stores and Mill Avenue, Cross Lake, and now Excelsior Road next to Cub Foods. And uh, with the hot weather, another summer weekend coming up. Stop into Holiday, get all the refreshments that you need. Also by Shannon's Auto Body with a new location, a grand opening coming June 29th in uh, Brainerd. Great new location to better serve their customers. We thought with the U.S. Open we would go get a segment with Ron Reed. He's the author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock Hills to Pebble Beach. He's got a wealth of stories and a terrific book. So we're going to use that interview since it's U.S. Open week, and Chris and I love this segment with Ron Reed. So we go back and get it out of our archives. Here is that segment with Ron Reed, the author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock Hills to Pebble Beach special guest with us that uh, happened to just be fortunate enough to get a hold of uh, Ron Reed. He's the author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock Hills to Pebble Beach. And uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, uh, Ron, appreciate you taking the time and joining us today. Well, you're kind to uh, to reach out. And I'd rather be hunkered here than... Uh, well, actually, I'd rather be bunkered at nearby Pebble Beach than be hunkered here. But uh, I'm happy to be uh, be around and be with you. Chris, when we were talking yesterday, Ron and I, he was uh, taking a walk uh, at Pebble Beach, so that's not all bad. That's not all bad. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a pleasure, and uh, it's not very crowded. The other day, I had a I had an interesting uh, experience. I ran into Jim Nance, who lives nearby, and he uh, he suggested he, he was really excited, and he said, "Gee, I hope you watch um, the rewind of the Masters over the weekend." and and I did, and it was sensational. I think that's the way, you know, the TV audiences are going to be huge once um, once golf, pro golf gets back on TV. 
I think so too. Uh, the, the the book uh, starting the U.S. Open, Ron. Just, uh, I mean, we're talking about literally starting the U.S. Open. So tell our listeners who might not know uh, what that means. Well, uh, first, you know, I, I start the book telling how a, a kid from suburban Chicago, Lagrange, uh, certainly not privileged, sneaking on his local golf courses, and uh, somehow over the years after uh, the U.S. Army here in Monterey, California, uh, somehow uh, ended up working in the amateur side of golf, first at the Northern Cal Golf Association, and then uh, for 20, excuse me, 32 years at the USGA. And along the way in 1986, uh, David Fay was ill. He was the starter. And uh, they tapped me. Frank Hannigan said... uh, is he, he gave me a microphone, and he said, Welcome to Showbiz. <laughs> and in 19, 1986 at Shinnecock, I became the starter of the U.S. Open and uh, hung in there uh, 23 of the next years, ending that assignment in 2010 here at Pebble Beach. Boy, what a, what a, what a great run, yeah. Not, not well, a better was, seat in, uh, in tournament golf than on, the, on that first tee. Well, I never took it for granted. Every year I'd go and I'd look at the assignment sheet, and there it said Ron Reed starter, first tee. And, um, you know, it was such a privilege. And But beyond that, um, I got to know them, a lot of most, the greatest players of our time, uh, off the golf course as well. So uh, I, along the way, uh, people said, you ought to write about it. So I did. And it was a lot of fun, and I had some help. Uh, Rich Gazinski, formerly at the USGA, helped uh, edit. And uh, I think we came up with a, a, a book that uh, is entertaining and insightful. Yeah, I agree, Ron. I think we'll just uh, I'll just sample a couple of the endorsements in the front of the book so our listeners have an idea that this might be a book you want to go get. Few have experienced the cauldron of every golfer's experiences on the first tee of the U.S. Open. My friend Ron Reed had a front row seat there for 23 years to witness the hardest shot in golf, the first one. He is, in fact, the man who was starting the U.S. Open. That's your friend Jim Nance, which is uh, very nice. Uh, uh, Jack and Barbara have some nice things to say in the endorsements and oh, a whole bunch of people. Uh, Roger Maltby, uh, you've been longtime friends with Roger Maltby. Oh, there's all kinds of great names there. Chris, you guys also have a kind of a Iowa connection, you and Ron, that you might not know about. Ron, you're a Drake graduate, is that correct? I went to I went to Drake University, and uh, it was during my uh, before my sophomore year. I I uh, was working at the Wakanda Club there in Des Moines, and they were having the U.S. Amateur, and so I got to I got to see P.J. Boatwright and Joe Dye and Frank Hannigan and the leadership of um, the USGA, and you know that's what kind of tweaked my interest into getting into the administrative side of the game of golf so uh, that's where it all began 1963 u.s amateur oh that's neat i I was an assistant at wakanda club in 1990 1990 to 1993 one of my favorite places in the world jack webb jack had retired in about 85 or 86 but no jack well uh mr neneman you probably knew mr neneman the gm oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> the yeah. club manager he, long time. He had to put up with me. <laughs> no, that was yeah. great years. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting U.S. Amateur. Dean Beeman won, which went on became the commissioner of the PGA Tour. 
the assistants at that time were Jack Klecky and but the two assistants went on to become the co-professionals at uh, Augusta National. And um, a few other noteworthy things ha- happened in that uh, that U.S. Amateur. Look, can I share a, a side story uh, to the book? Yeah. Um, years ago, David Fay called me. He says, you better explain yourself. I said, what do I do now? He says, well, a, a fellow by the name of Vince Bradley somehow talked his way up Magnolia Lane using your name. <laughs> and I, I says, do you know Vince Bradley? I said, yeah, he's a golf coach, high school golf coach, nice guy. He said, well, he told him he worked for me. Well, I was flattered that someone would think that I had that sort of influence. But uh, anyway, he got all the way to the clubhouse. So I ended up writing letters of apology. And along the way, <laughs> I connected with the golf pros who guess where they came from. Wakanda Club. That's right. And and uh, so I ended up with um, maybe some friends there at Augusta National. Ron, the book has all kinds of uh, great, great chapters. We'll just kind of walk down maybe some of the things we talked about. You had uh, some funny moments. I know uh, we talked a little bit about yesterday about uh, uh, Jumbo Osaki. You had to talk him into playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jumbo... Uh, he was first off and at 6.30 in the morning uh, there at Pine, Pinehurst in 99, and I introduced him from Narita, Japan, and in, uh, in his English, he said, I know play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and um, I turned to Tony Zerpoli, the, uh, the referee, and I said, what do I do now? He says, reintroduce him. And at the point, it was an early start. Normally, we started at 7 o'clock, but at 6.30, Jumbo thought it was too dark to play. Well, finally, uh, Brandel Shambly, who was playing with him, told me later that somehow I cajoled him to hit it. And uh, I remember he hit it off into darkness and about 300 cameras, flash, flashes went off from all of the uh, uh, photographers in Japan that were following their, their legend. So, uh, yeah, somehow I convinced him to play. <laughs> Then uh, let's see, Jim Thorpe. We had a had a you and Jim oh, Thorpe, Thorpe had a moment. Jim was a bomber, wasn't he? Jim was a bomber. I remember practice round in '84 at Wingfoot when he got on the eighth hole. It's you know today drivable by a lot of the players. It wasn't then, but he he took his one iron and he he ripped the grip off. So uh, he had his hands only on the tape and iron, and he knocked it on the front of the green with a one iron. But uh, Jim was a great guy, and I, I call him a gentle giant, but um, I had an incident at Baltusrol where he got over the ball. He hadn't even hit it yet, and I got confused, and I didn't want him to be penalized in, the, in this crazy situation, and all of a sudden, I interrupted him. I said, Jim, is this a provisional ball? And he looked up, and he smiled. He says, man. I ain't even hit it yet, and you guys are trying to penalize. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a big guy, you know. He played football, and I I ran up to him, and he smashed his drive down the middle. I tried to give him a big hug, and we laughed later. And uh, <laughs> he, thank God he was forgiving. No, Jim was a great guy. And uh, Ian Wisdom, you had uh, had a funny uh, story about Ian as well. Well, I. I used to handle player registration, and I would ask them as they came in, you know, where do you live? And uh, he said he he was from Oswestry, Street, England. So for three days, I introduced him from Oswestry, Street, England. Well, on day four, you know, worldwide television. 
um, I introduced him from Oswestry, Street, and he turned around. He didn't have a speaking part, but he says, I'm from Wales. Well, <laughs> I, I corrected myself. I'd made a lot of mistakes over the years, and I said the word correction, Wales. Well, now I was flustered, and I continued on with other introductions, and I got to, and here's what I said, and the special observer is Joe Carr, captain of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St. Andrews from Dublin, England. (laughs) And there was a murmur in the crowd, and I looked over, and Joe was laughing, and I realized my mistake, and I said, correction, Ireland. Well, the next to speak was um, uh, the famous uh, announcer, um, Peter Alice. And Peter... (laughs) Peter came up with this line. He says, wars have started over less. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'll share the post story to that. I was, uh, you know, for two days I was in a funk over, you know, blowing the final introduction. And I was in a restaurant all alone, and I ordered a glass of wine. And the waiter, I sensed, I, I said, where are you from? He says, I'm from London, England. I said, really? Tell me where is Oswestry? And he said, I don't know, but I was watching the U.S. Open. And he pointed at me. He pointed at me and he said, you're the guy. You're the guy. And it was that one moment when I, I could laugh at myself. And um, the, uh, you know, the feelings I had went away. I, I could never make another mistake when I didn't laugh about, about uh, what I was doing. I suppose with the seriousness of some guys and the looseness of others, there's a uh, some guys a mispronunciation might bother, and other guys probably would laugh it off. I would say uh, once, um, and and I like Colin Montgomery a lot. I, I always thought he was a good guy. And after I introduced him once, he came over and he said, "It's not Colin." <laughs> I said, "Okay, I'll uh, I'll make sure I don't say that again." Um, I I bit the bullet, so to speak, and and I was careful, but. Um, I'm, I'm quite sensitive to that, uh, Ron. That's my. <laughs> <laughs> I I had a uh, a junior high, uh, not a high, no a high school phys ed teacher who would always purposely call me Colin, just so a few people would chuckle during introductions. Well, I liked him a lot, and um, <laughs> a quick quick Colin story. You know, he he could and probably should have won the U.S. Open in '94 when uh, when Ernie Els did there at Oakmont. And it was the afterwards. It was I, I learned what the U.S. Open meant to a player of his caliber. He he lost it uh, privately in the when he called his wife back in Scotland. And um, I learned you know the emotional side of of what the U.S. Open meant to uh, to a great player like that. Sure. Yeah. Wow. So many heartbreaking and uh, stories about the guys who come second or play themselves out of it late in the day or whatever the case might be run uh, 1994 was arnold palmer's last u.s open and it was played at oakmont country club so kind of in his backyard of where he grew up tell, tell us about that u.s open what your memories are then well it's in the book um he um ernie well he was playing with john mahaffey and rocco mediate and they were there early because on thursday at the starting time, and Arnie wasn't, and I, I knew where he was because I could hear the buzz through the the thousands that were gathered. And uh, finally, I dispatched, uh, which I never did uh, normally, to send security to get him there. And they found him, 
They brought him in, and he popped through the crowd seconds before his starting time, and he all he had was a putter, caddy, no golf bag. So I introduced uh, Rocco, and Rocco teed at one place, and then he picked it up, and he moved the tee, and I began to sense something was going on. They were stalling. And finally he hit it, and then uh, John did the same thing. Arnie was still standing there with just a putter. All of a sudden, here comes caddy pops through the crowd, I breathe a sigh of relief. I'm looking at two trees that were there at the time, and I'm thinking, man, if I penalize Arnold Palmer. They started, I introduced him, and the crowd went crazy, and uh, all of a sudden he got over the ball. He wasn't comfortable. He didn't know how many clubs he had. So he turned around, and he, everybody was counting clubs, and nobody was getting 14 clubs. And Finally, he felt comfortable, and he hit it down the fairway. Well, off he went several minutes late, possibly could have been penalized in his last U.S. Open. Well, Friday was the final day, and he showed up early. And I took a, one of the decisions, 6-3-3, and I taped it to my table and highlighted that A, B, and C players must be all there at the same time, present and ready to play. I highlighted it. And he was in good humor. He was always in good humor. And I took him over, and I pointed that out to him. And he looked at me only as Arnold Palmer could, and he says, I was ready to play. He says, I had a putter. I'd hit it from here to there. <laughs> and um, as I wrote the book, that was the only only thing I ever wrote down on the pairing sheet and looked back later and, and used in writing the book. Your title of that chapter, uh, Arnold Palmer, The Goodness of the Man, That uh, that's a great uh, title for a chapter, Ron. Well, I, I, uh, there are a number of stories that elaborate, and I won't, I won't uh, share them all now, but he, he was an extraordinary person, and uh, I traveled from Scotland, uh, circuitously, flew home to Monterey, changed my underwear, flew back to La Trobe, <laughs> having, having spent uh, a day and a half to get there, and went to his memorial, and it was something I'll never forget. I'll bet, yeah. And another uh, great you we talked a little bit about yesterday, and the title of that chapter is great too. Is Jack Nicholas the softer side? Well, I've, I've seen it. I've cried with him twice on the first tee. The, the the last time was his last U.S. Open, and Roger Maltby, who used to cue me to start, you know, the television introduction, came to me and he said, uh, "Wouldn't it be nice if we did something special? Because it, you know, Jack's taking." Uh, uh, the place of Payne Stewart, who was sadly no longer with us. And uh, I said, hey, you know, I'd like to do that, but the decision was made by people higher up than I. We've, we've honored Payne Stewart, so uh, thank you for your suggestion, but no thanks. And Jack came to the tee, and you know what he said to me? He says, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we honored Payne Stewart? Well, I knew that I knew that he and Roger had chatted, and I said, Jack, look, it's over. But wait a minute. When you're introduced, you're on stage. You can do anything you want. Just don't tell anybody. Don't share <laughs> that you and I made a deal. So Jack got up there, and, and uh, I introduced him from North Palm Beach. And guess what he said? He said, I just want to take a moment to remember our national champion. And I don't think there was a dry eye near the first tee at Pebble Beach, and uh, he hit it down the middle. And the next day he came up, this is his final round, he looks at me with a smile, he says, 
well, then I get you in trouble. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I told the press, you know, he broke the deal. Well, we both laughed, and um, but it was a very touching moment and the soft side of Jack Nicholas. Yeah, yeah. Jack has shed a tear or two that we've all got to see on television, and uh, uh, Jack and Arnold just two of the two great men of golf. And another one, uh, Tom Watson, I know uh, you've had some uh, experience with Tom as well. Uh, Tom, uh, you know, great, great guy. Uh, one of the most memorable was in, the, uh, I believe, 2003 at Olympia Fields. And for 21 years, I had had the flag from 1982 when he chipped in to uh, to take uh, Jack Nicklaus's fifth U.S. Open away from him. Right. I had the flag, and I threw it in a box and forgot about it. Well, I took it to Chicago with me. And I was going to have him sign it, and I would keep the flag. Well, this is this was Tom's last open, and and of course the world knew that Bruce Edwards was suffering from ALS, and so I sought Tom on Sunday morning to to say to him, "Look, I'd like to give the flag to Bruce. Is that okay?" And I never could find him. So up the hill on Sunday. By the way, Tom is he's got a chance to win in his last U.S. Open, and. Uh, <laughs> Bruce came up the hill, and he wasn't doing so well. You could tell the disease had set in, and I said to him, uh, here, I'd like you to have this flag. And he looked at me, and he said, what is this? I said, this is the flag from 21 years ago. And he began to cry, and so did I. <laughs> and uh, finally, Tom came up, and he looked at the two of us. He said, what's going on here? And I told him I'd given Bruce the flag. And I said, did I do the right thing? And Tom said, you did the right thing. So um, that flag today, uh, I'm happy to say it was auctioned, and Tom got it. Tom bought it, and it sits in his office there in Kansas City. So I couldn't be happier. That's an incredible story. You're listening to our interview with Ron Reed, longtime starter at the U.S. Open and author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock Hills to Pebble Beach. That book is available at ronreed.com and also available on Amazon. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on The Fan. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Also 105.1 FM. And find us at lakeswoodsandirons.com. Also on Facebook. And wherever you find your podcast, you just uh, search Lakes, Woods, and Irons. There's some great uh, podcasts that are archived from this year's shows. So check those out. Brought your way in part by Cragen's Legacy Courses, including the great new Tom Lehman 18. You have to get out and play it. And SCR Northern, the ones with Old Man Winter on the trucks. Now back to our interview with Ron Reed, the official starter at the U.S. Open for many years and author of the book, Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock Hills to Pebble Beach. Now back to that interview with Ron. Ron, uh, 1994 was Arnold Palmer's last U.S. Open, and it was played at Oakmont Country Club, so kind of in his backyard of where he grew up. Tell, tell us about that U.S. Open, what your memories are then. Well, it's in the book. Um, he, um, Arnie, well, he was playing with John Mahaffey and Rocco Mediate, and they were there early because on Thursday with the starting time. And Arnie wasn't. And I, I knew where he was because I could hear the buzz through the, the thousands that were gathered. And uh, finally I dispatched, uh, which I never did, uh, normally to send security to get him there and they found him they brought him in and he popped through the crowd seconds before his starting time and he all he had was a putter caddy no golf bag 
So I introduced uh, Rocco, and Rocco teed at one place, and then he picked it up, and he moved the tee, and I began to sense something was going on. They were stalling. And finally he hit it, and then uh, John did the same thing. Arnie was still standing there with just a putter. All of a sudden, here comes Caddy pops through the crowd. I breathe a sigh of relief. I'm looking at two trees that were there at the time, and I'm thinking, man, if I penalize Arnold Palmer. They started, I introduced him, and the crowd went crazy, and uh, all of a sudden he got over the ball. He wasn't comfortable. He didn't know how many clubs he had. So he turned around, and he, everybody was counting clubs, and nobody was getting 14 clubs. And Finally, he felt comfortable, and he hit it down the fairway. Well, off he went several minutes late possibly could have been penalized in his last U.S. Open. Well, Friday was the final day, and he showed up early. And I took a, one of the decisions, 6-3-3, and I taped it to my table and highlighted that A, B, and C players must be all there at the same time, present and ready to play. I highlighted it. And he was in good humor. He was always in good humor. And I took him over, and I pointed that out to him. And he looked at me only as Arnold Palmer could, and he says, I was ready to play. He says, I had a putter. I'd hit it from here to there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, as I wrote the book, that was the only only thing I ever wrote down on the pairing sheet and looked back later and, and used in writing the book. Your title of that chapter, uh, Arnold Palmer, The Goodness of the Man, That uh, that's a great uh, title for a chapter, Ron. Well, I, I, uh, there are a number of stories that elaborate, and I won't, I won't uh, share them all now, but he, he was an extraordinary person, and uh, I traveled from Scotland, uh, circuitously, flew home to Monterey, changed my underwear, flew back to La Trobe, <laughs> having, having spent uh, a day and a half to get there and went to his memorial, and it was something I'll never forget. I'll bet, yeah. And another uh, great you we talked a little bit about yesterday, and the title of that chapter is great too. Is Jack Nicholas the softer side? Well, I've, I've seen it. I've cried with him twice on the first tee. The, the the last time was his last U.S. Open, and Roger Maltby, who used to cue me to start, you know, the television introduction, came to me and he said, uh, "Wouldn't it be nice if we did something special?" Because it, you know, Jack's taking. Uh, uh, the place of Payne Stewart, who was sadly no longer with us. And uh, I said, hey, you know, I'd like to do that, but the decision was made by people higher up than I. We've, we've honored Payne Stewart, so uh, thank you for your suggestion, but no thanks. And Jack came to the tee, and you know what he said to me? He says, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we honored Payne Stewart? Well, I knew that I knew that he and Roger had chatted, and I said, Jack, look, it's over. But wait a minute. When you're introduced, you're on stage. You can do anything you want. Just don't tell anybody. Don't share <laughs> that you and I made a deal. So Jack got up there, and, and uh, I introduced him from North Palm Beach. And guess what he said? He said, I just want to take a moment to remember our national champion. And I don't think there was a dry eye near the first tee at Pebble Beach, and uh, he hit it down the middle. And the next day he came up, this is his final round, he looks at me with a smile, he says, well, did I get you in trouble? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I told the press, you know, he broke the deal. Well, we both laughed, and um, 
but it was a very touching moment on the soft side of Jack Nicholas. Yeah, yeah. Jack has shed a tear or two that we've all got to see on television. And uh, uh, Jack and Arnold, just two of the two great men of golf. And another one, uh, Tom Watson. I know uh, you've had some uh, experience with Tom as well. Uh, Tom, uh, you know, great, great guy. Uh, one of the most memorable was in, the, uh, I believe, 2003 at Olympia Fields. And for 20 one years I had had the flag from 1982 when he chipped in to um, to take uh, Jack Nicklaus's fifth U.S. Open away from him. Right. I had the flag and I threw it in a box and forgot about it. Well, I took it to Chicago with me and I was going to have him sign it and I would keep the flag. Well, this is this was Tom's last Open and and of course the world knew that Bruce Edwards was suffering from ALS and so I sought tom on sunday morning to to say to him look i'd like to give the flag to bruce is that okay and i never could find him so up the hill on sunday by the way tom is he's got a chance to win in his last u.s open and uh, <laughs> bruce came up the hill and he wasn't doing so well you could tell the disease had set in and i said to him uh here i'd like you to have this flag and he looked at me and he said what is this i said this is the flag from 21 years ago and he began to cry and so did i <laughs> and uh finally tom came up and he looked at the two of us he said what's going on here and i told him i'd given bruce the flag and i said did i do the right thing and tom said you did the right thing <laughs> so um that flag today uh, i'm happy to say it was auctioned and tom got it tom bought it and it sits in his office there in Kansas City, so I couldn't be happier. Yeah. That's an incredible story. You're listening to our interview with Ron Reed, longtime starter at the U.S. Open and author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock Hills to Pebble Beach. That book is available at ronreed.com and also available on Amazon. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on The Fan. Back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, 1380 KLIZ The Fan. 105.1 FM as well. Also streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com. And wherever you go to find your podcast, search Lakes, Woods, and Irons, and you'll find us. Brought away in part by Craigan's Legacy Courses, including the new Tom Lehman 18, and by Shannon's Auto Body with a new location in Brainerd now in East Brainerd to better serve their customers. Grand opening coming up at the end of June. Should be great. Thanks to Shannon's Auto Body for joining the sponsorship team this year. Chris, U.S. Open this week, we talked a little bit about in the opening. Uh, it seems like maybe Scotty Scheffler is the guy to beat, at least he's been at the top almost every week. No matter how bad his putting gets, the rest of his game is so good that he's right there. Well, yeah, he, I mean, gosh, he, the, his last three or four events, he's been, you know, plus, you know, 15 to 25 strokes game putting, which is just you just don't see that, and uh, but unfortunately, his, his putting has, has really let him down. He's really, he's really struggled on the greens. The tee to greens where he's really gained everything, and putting's where he's losing it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Scheffler. He, I got to believe he'll find some of that putting. I guess he's been working with his guy. I saw last night on the Golf Channel that uh, his coach has been able, unable to work with him for a couple of weeks, but uh, they got together this week, and uh, we're working on some posture type things which is interesting more like yeah. his golf swing is what they were hoping for sure yeah he um you know he, he 
don't know, I don't want to say he has a yip in his stroke, but he he definitely is. Uh, you know, especially short, short range. It's a he's got a, a you know a bit of a twinge at the <laughs> at the ball, and uh, he's just been terrible inside of ten feet, which has been his bread and butter. So uh, hopefully they get it on track. I thought he was he. Uh, he was changing. He was going to use a different Scotty Cameron putter, but change the weighting in his current putter. And uh, so, it uh, definitely a uh, if he puts average, he will definitely be in the mix. Yeah, yeah. He was. He's such a low key, great guy. Really, it's funny. His interviews are always good, and he he said uh, that great golf superstition. You know, are, are you going to change putters? He said, "Well, you'll find out on Thursday." <laughs> and then he said, "Sometimes it's good just to make the first putter a little nervous by bringing a second putter." <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, high school. Uh, we should talk about that a little bit. The kids went off. Dawson Ringler and Izzy Olson from Brainerd uh, both made it to state. I was glad to see Dawson make it. He was right at the at the uh, heartbreak level last year. Uh, didn't play as well the second day of uh, as he wanted to, and missed just missed state by a shot. I think was determined to get back there this year and made it and uh, shot a seventy six on opening day. So pretty nice performance by Dawson. Yeah, I think he was in twelfth place after day one, and uh, you know, uh, it, it, very nice for Dawson to get to state. He he's worked hard on his game and just steadily improved. Uh, uh, getting a little bit better every year, and really uh, this year, I think the big, biggest thing was he, you know, he, his mental game was so much better. Yeah, and um, so he's uh, nice to see him play. Hopefully, he has a good afternoon today. Uh, you know, the girls are playing this morning in uh, in two or in class three A, and Izzy Olson was uh, top ten yesterday. Uh, with also with a 76, and she's fallen back a little bit. And currently, uh, in 21st place through nine holes. So, uh, some amazing scores on the girls' side. Catherine Ergarn, uh is eight under uh, through about nine holes, and then um, Reese McCauley, whose sister won uh, twice, right. is at, is at six under. So, McCauley, that's the girl who went and played in the. U.S. Women's Open, right? Instead of playing in the high school tournament, yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, playing in the extraordinary, (laughs) and has had a great year at the University of Minnesota, her freshman year. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. And um, in in Class Two A, Pequot Lakes uh, was in second place after yesterday through nine holes. They they've you know cut the margin of, of they were I think they were 12 shots back and they're currently five shots back which is really uh, I mean w- when you think about six girls playing and just a, a couple shot swing it will change can change that all around so uh, that would be great to see the Pequot girls uh, slide in there hopefully they can charge down the stretch and the Pine River girls were in fifth place after day one and the uh Walker boys were right up at the top in after day one in in Class A, so that's pretty cool. Ken and Ken Thomas and I were joking and said, "Well, if they, if they practice at Tiana, no wonder they're playing well at state." Right. <laughs> well, pretty pretty good representation from the 
from the Brainerd Lakes area. Lots of youngsters, yeah. That's uh, that's what you've been working toward for years around here, Chris. Is uh, the quality yeah. of the of the young people's games, and it's uh, it's coming every year. It gets a little more, so that's pretty cool. With a guy like Scheffler, Chris, you've uh, uh, taught your whole life. So, I mean, where does that stroke go? He's a, one of the great putters, one of the great players in the world, and all of a sudden the stroke goes away. Uh, it can't be that far away when he's when he's out there practicing. It's got. I mean, he's got to be able to find it, doesn't he? Right. You know, I think some of it is confidence, and confidence is very fleeting. You know, if you miss a couple putts and uh, or you get you know surprised by a couple putts that you miss, all of a sudden you you lack the confidence, and when when you lack that confidence, you don't see the see the putt as well, and uh, and sometimes it's mechanical. And I, I, I think in Scotty's, you know, they, they blend together. And I think in Scotty's case, he, it, it's definitely somewhat mechanical. And like you were saying earlier, Mac, you get, you know, they were working on his, on his posture and his setup. And, it, you know, it's just little things that, uh, that kind of blend together that, that create that, you know, you, you hit some bad putts and uh, your stroke gets off. And now you, you start trying other things. And, if somebody doesn't have a watchful eye on you, you kind of go down a rabbit hole. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden you, you go from, from being one of the best putters in the world to, to struggling. Uh, you know, you, go, you look at a guy like Jordan Spieth, uh, you know, in 2017 or 18, he, was, he, was the number, he had the best putting um, year in the history of the PGA Tour. Yeah, that's and, pretty good. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, and you know, then fast forward, he, he the last couple of years he's really struggled, and, you know, and um, boy, he's he's playing great right now, and his putting's starting to come around, and uh, that he's one of my picks for this week. I think yeah, I think he's trending in the right direction, and uh, as well as he's hitting it, if he if he puts well this week, it's he's going to be right in contention. Could really have a war of big names. That would be great if that happened. Kepka's uh, right on top of his game. It looks like after the PGA, and uh, Scheffler's been great all year. Rom's been great, and Spieth right there. Be nice to see Rory uh, put together his game. He always seems to have uh, not even a full day. He, Rory seems to have two or three, two or three holes that uh, kind of implode his round uh, a lot of times lately. Right, right. But he's been yeah, pretty consistent, other than just the occasional, the occasional blow-up hole. It seems. <clears throat> yeah, very much so. And I, you know, maybe with some of this, uh, he's really, uh, you know, at least early week here, kind of refused interviews, so he's not talking about. Uh, you know, he's been such a spokesman for the PGA Tour on the whole live deal and um hopefully he, you know he's being a lot more selfish with his time yeah that's good and he, you know he's de- definitely he's trending in the right direction that's for sure he, he played great at the canadian open and you know didn't didn't finish very well didn't play very well saturday but they came out uh sunday and played really well early and then kind of fell back and kind of ran out of steam i think but I hope John Rahm isn't too hot under the collar. He was kind of mad about the live thing this week. Uh, he got in front of the press and kind of opened up about it a little bit. And uh, he uh, he's let his emotions run away with him before. Hopefully, he can uh, 
keep those under control because he's just too good a player to let that happen. Yeah, and, you know those Spaniards run. You know, sometimes when they're they're running hot a little bit, they they even play better. But yeah, uh, yeah, true. Uh, that that was you know going back five or six years. That that was always my knock with with Rom was that he that he did run too hot and he didn't have control of his emotions and he's really gotten, gosh, you know, the last two seasons. I mean, that what a what a transformation. Right. Um, you know going back you know been the number one player off and on for the last two years uh, it'll be interesting to see how matthew fitzpatrick plays this week you know kind of it, it's you know in majors you don't we don't see many defending champions win but the u.s open we have had a few defending champions win over the years when you think about curtis strange yeah and uh, and andy north won twice or two years in a row i believe and um, we've had a couple other champions that have defended, and hopefully Matthew Fitzpatrick is—you uh, know—he's coming off a, a bit of an injury, but uh, missed the cut at the PGA. But uh, I'd like to—I think we're, I think we're going to see him in the mix. And my dark horse pick for the week, Mac, is yeah. uh, guy you know, is uh, Cameron Young. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's. He's played so well in the majors over the past year. He's been a bit under the radar coming in, but uh, it might. The U.S. Open is always a good major for uh, first-time winners. The calm Norwegian is playing pretty well too, uh, Victor Hovland. Well, he's playing awfully well. He's played <laughs> the last month. He's been uh, been really good. And it was. It, I was kind of glad to not see him play. You know. Not when the Canadian Open, which he was a bit in, you know, he was right in the mix because uh, it's hard to win two weeks in a row, that's for sure. I remember when we talked earlier, you said you'd been, I remember now that you had gone out to the Walker Club at LA Country Club. Uh, anything in the clubhouse for a 19th hole uh, beverage? You know, that that clubhouse is, is, is awfully cool. It's, it's got a, uh, uh, it's got apartments above the clubhouse. So members can own a apartment above the clubhouse, and I, I think there are about uh, maybe eight residents there. And I, I would guess they're very highly sought after. But I, I sat up there and watched the, the last few holes of, of the Walker Cup, and it's uh, quite a view and quite a <laughs> yeah. quite a quite a place to be able to uh, spend some time if you're if you're fortunate enough. But uh, uh, I don't know what the the drink of choice is at. Uh, at LACC Mac, but it's it's uh, certainly a awfully uh, historic and uh, cool place to be. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing the apartments are a pretty penny. <laughs> I I would guess so. I don't I don't know where they uh, how much there, but they all that re- all of that LA real estate is uh, oh yeah is pretty high cotton. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Mac. That's Chris Foley. I'm Colin McDonald. You've been listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ.